Well, um, I, don't, I don't need to hold this. It'll stay all by itself. Um, so uh, it is good to be back. Many of you have asked me about my vacation. I had a good one. Um, we went to, um, I don't know what you'd call it, the, the, the western coast of Mexico, not as far as Acapulco, but Mazatlan and Puerto Vallarta and Cabo San Lucas and Ensenada. So we, we, we went on a cruise. It was a tropical vacation. Those are all like just barely inside the tropics. So, um, so it was a, it was a good vacation. So, um, so we got to see stuff like that, which we don't get to see enough of in Anchorage. So, um, so I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, the weather wasn't quite as warm as I wanted, but it, you know, it's no contest compared to here. So we did a lot of fun things. Um, we, we got to see, uh, whales cavorting in the ocean. So, uh, that was, um, a, they, they were jumping out and doing all kinds of fun stuff, but I really liked that one because I can see three whales all at once. So, um, uh, apparently they are fin whales, which, if the weather is just right, you may see in Resurrection Bay at a different time of the year. We got to see some some old churches, you know, these historic churches. So um, I'm a sucker for those. So we we got to see some old churches, and uh, I want to tell you about one thing in particular because uh, because it was something I enjoyed more than I thought I would enjoy. Margot Margot found out that there's a lighthouse in Mazatlan, and she said we should go up it. It's only 350 steps. <laughs> What they don't tell you is that they start counting about two thirds of the way up. So, so the first, the first one, they just got markers along the path and it says, you know, 200 meters, 300 meters. So there's all these switchbacks. So it's 700 meters or about half a mile before they start counting. So, um, and then they have the 350 steps up. So, um, but it was, it was, uh, it was worth the, 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 the hike because we got up there and we had a great view of the whole area. So you can see other people also taking selfies and so forth. So, um, so it was a great view. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure many of you have climbed a mountain in, in your life. Uh, maybe, maybe some of you have climbed a flat top or at least gone up to the parking lot. Uh, up there you can see Anchorage laid out in front of you. It's, it's great to be up on a mountain because you get this perspective that you don't normally have. You can see over all the stuff in between. You know, on a good day, you can see Denali or whatever, which usually down here there's trees or whatever that that block your view. So <clears throat> there's there's a really um, you know here you can see the the mountains on the far side of the inlet. So so it's it's great to be up on a mountain. Sometimes it's even worth the hike. Um, and uh, the reason is because you get that great view. You get the the vision, and um, you, you have the the vista. All these words that describe that that picture that is laid out in front of us when we're up on a mountain. And a lot of faiths describe how their their different leaders uh, had visions on mountains. So uh, Christianity and Judaism are, are like that. Uh, we believe uh, that that people in the in the scriptures often have had these visions when they were up on a mountain. And we're going to hear about some today. But but it's not that you can climb up a mountain and see God. It's that for whatever reason, God often gives people a vision when they're on a mountain. We believe that God is transcendent, that, that God exists outside of the universe or, or the multiverse, whatever, whatever they come up with to describe our world, um, whether it's a universe or a multiverse, um, there is, there is that. And then beyond that, above and beyond that, not in space and time, there is the realm of God, and we can't even imagine what that looks like because we're only we're part of creation. So we can't climb a mountain that is high enough to see God. In the 1960s, um, Yuri Gagarin, the the Russian cosmonaut, he who was the first man in space, and he said uh, after he got back down, he didn't see any angels or God up there. 
And that wouldn't surprise any Christian because we don't believe God is just, you know, 50 miles up or something, uh, that, that we think that God is actually beyond all of the universe, that, that when we climb that mountain, it's not that we can now see God, it's that God sometimes gives people a vision when they are on that mountain. So we have the idea that Christianity is a, is a revealed faith, and so we see things um, sometimes because we have a better view and sometimes because God gives us a better view. And when God, um, when God shows us something that we couldn't have seen uh, from any height, that is called a revelation. And Christianity is a revealed faith. Um, and the idea there is that God reveals himself. He reveals himself in, in nature. The, the heavens are telling the glory of God. God's fingerprints are all over creation. But he reveals himself particularly in his word, the, the living word of, of God, Christ, and the, the biblical witness to Christ that we see in the Old and the, the, the New Scriptures, uh, the New Testament. So, so part of God's provision for us is His self-revelation. God has given us um, all the things we need to get through life that God provides for us. But one of the things He provides is His revelation. He enables us to know things, to see things that we couldn't see even if we climbed up a, a super high mountain. So uh, God reveals Himself to us. Um, and we're going to read about one of those revelations today. So our revelation today is the, is the, uh, the, 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 the revelation we're interested in today is the Transfiguration. That's because today is Transfiguration Sunday. It commemorates, it, it reminds us of the time when Jesus climbed up, uh, the mountain of Transfiguration, whatever that was. There's two major candidates, uh, Mount Hermon and Mount Tabor. So scholars tell us, maybe it's one, maybe it's the other. Um, if you've been a tourist, then Whatever, whatever one you go up, the, the locals will tell you for sure that it's that one. Um, so whatever mountain it was, Jesus climbs up this mountain uh, with a couple of his disciples. And while he's there, he is transfigured. He changes. His appearance changes somehow. That they are able to see him in a different light. Um, somehow or another, Jesus is different. What's frustrating to readers of it is that, is that it doesn't say how he was changed. Uh, it's, it's an important event. It appears in three of the Gospels and one of the letters. Um, it may be even in the fourth Gospel. John talks about we've seen his glory. Um, but but it's not explained. It's not even articulated very well. What did they see? Jesus' appearance changed. His, 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 uh, he, he was transfigured before them. But what did that look like? We don't know. We're not told. So it was an important event. They, they, they record it in so many places in the New Testament. But they don't tell us what it means. They don't tell us what it even looked like. So how do we make sense of it? Well, the only way that we can really make sense of it is is putting ourselves in the position of those disciples, Peter, James, and John, or the ones they told about it later on. We have to look at it in light of what we know about God's other revelations, the the things that Jesus has uh, throughout throughout the whole the the Hebrew scriptures as they would have done. But in particular, focusing on things that had some some points of contact, some some similarities with what they experienced up on that mountain. And so, uh, in in the Transfiguration, we read that Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, and Elijah and Moses were talking with Jesus. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. So those are kind of the the things that they would have said. This sounds familiar to me. I, I seem to remember some places in the Hebrew scriptures that talk about this. That that do think that where things like this take place. And so we're going to look at the one in the story of Exodus. In in um, Moses uh, had had an uh, 
had something similar to this occur to him on Mount Sinai, just as Elijah had one um, occur to him on Mount Horeb. Uh, we don't have time today to look at the one on Mount Horeb with Elijah, but but it's not uh, dissimilar to the one that Moses has um, on Mount Sinai. So we're going to look at that, and uh, so that's where we are uh, in Exodus 20, 24. Uh, to set this up, uh, where where are we in the book of Exodus? So you know the Exodus is a story of how uh, uh, the people of God have been slaves in Egypt. God sends Moses to 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 go to Pharaoh and say, "Let my people go." Uh, there's all that back and forth, and then eventually uh, Pharaoh does let them go. They go through the Red Sea and they uh, they go into the wilderness. And at the wilderness, they come pretty much straight away to the mountain of God. So so that's where we're at. Where the Israel is at the foot of the mountain of God, uh, Mount Sinai, and um, they have they have God has given them uh, audibly. God spoke to them audibly the the law. So. God has provided for them by giving them giving them a law. They they couldn't take the law of Egypt with them, so now they have a new law that they can carry with them. And and God God has given them that. Um, they've all uh, said we will obey whatever the God tells whatever God tells us to do, we will do. And so that's that's where we pick things up. So God says, well, let's let's have the ritual that confirms that. So we read. Um, uh, why did I do this? I'm. I've marked the the Mark passage, and I need to find the one in Exodus. So, well, I'll use this because then I don't have to wait. So, um, so the Exodus passage. Here we go. Um, uh, vacation. I'll keep. I'm, I'm going to use that excuse for the next couple of weeks. So, um, so. Uh, so the Lord says to Moses, "Come up to the Lord, you and oh, I could look at the screen. Uh, you, you and um, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of Israel's elders, and worship from a distance." So up till now, they've been told, "Stay off the mountain. This is the mountain of God. Remove your your sandals. This is the place you're standing is holy. Right? Don't come near the mountain." And now God invites them to come up the mountain. He says, "Go ahead, come on up the mountain. Not all of you, but." These leaders, this company of leaders, uh, Moses, Aaron, Abihu, Nadab, and then the 70 um, uh, Israelite elders. So they come up the mountain, and what they're going to do is they're going to commemorate the giving of the law. They're going to commemorate this covenant that God has made with them. And uh, God reminds them only Moses may come near to the Lord. The others shouldn't come near while the people shouldn't come up with him at all. So the the great mass of the Israelites stay down at the 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 plain, and then the um, these elders come up to wherever they come, somewhere up the mountain. And uh, when they do so, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel, they went up and they saw Israel's God. So what did they see? We don't know what they saw. It it tells us that um, uh, it tells us that. Um, uh, they saw God, and then it says, "Let me tell you about God's floor." So, so what did they see? I don't know. It says, "It says under God's feet there was what looked like a floor of lapis lazuli tiles, dazzlingly pure like the the sky." And I was, you know, who who cares what God's floor is like, right? Does anybody, you know, I've always wondered that, right? And it's just an odd thing that they would tell us what they they, they saw God, and so we don't know what they saw. Um, in fact, uh, later on in uh, just a couple of chapters from now, Moses will ask, can I see you? And God says, 
God says, um, you can't see my face because no one can see me and live. So whatever, whatever they saw, it was enough that they could call it God. And at the same time, it wasn't so much that they died. So they saw some, something of God. And it actually reminds me a little bit of the, um, of the, the places in, um, uh, uh, the the prophet um, the prophet Isaiah because he talks similarly he says he says he was in the temple one day and he had a vision of God and he said I saw I saw the Lord high and lifted up and then he tells us about God's robe filling the temple and again we don't get that we don't get the answer we're looking for we get something about God's garments and about these uh, winged creatures that are flying around um we don't we don't get the answer we're looking for and and I don't know why that is is it just deliberately designed to frustrate us or is it they're telling us what they can they just don't have words for what they saw so I'll tell you about the winged creatures I'll tell you about the robe I'll tell you about the floor I can't tell you what God is like because I just don't know I I don't I don't know the words to tell you so for whatever reason they they see God and they don't tell us anything except about his floor. And then it says God didn't harm the Israelite leaders, though they looked at God and they ate and drank. So they're really kind of a strange passage, but it continues right away. Um, it says, so they ate and drank. What are they eating and drinking? Well, this is part of the ritual associated with concluding a covenant. God has told them, here's the law, you obey this, and I'll do these things. So God has given them this covenant, and now they eat a meal to to celebrate or to confirm that. And that's kind of odd to us. We don't do that. You know, when you, when you go buy a house, you sign you know eighty pages of documents, but you don't have a meal there, right? So so it's just kind of the way that they did things in their in their culture. Christians are maybe a little bit more able to understand this because Jesus gave us a meal, right? When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is it, we remember that Jesus said this is the new covenant. So we have that covenant meal as well. But more or less, we we just kind of forget that there are these meals associated with it. So the elders go up, they have this meal, and then they either stay there, so this is kind of like now a base camp somewhere up the mountain, or maybe they go back down. It's not clear, but because the next thing we read is that the Lord says to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay there so I may give you the stone tablets. They've already gotten the law. All they're going to get now is the the physical copy. They're going to get the hard copy of the law. Um, So it's going to be carved on these stone tablets. And then God's going to spend a lot of time saying, build a tent to keep the law in and an ark to go in the tent. So God's going to explain a lot about all that in the next several chapters. But this is kind of secondary. They've already heard the law. And now it says, just come on up and get the get the um, the law, the tablets of the law. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and went up the mountain of the God. The others, the um, Aaron, Nadab, the 70 elders, they are either at this base camp or maybe they go back down. So um, later on, they for sure they are down. But at the same time, it, we read, Mo- Moses told the elders, wait for us here until we return to you. Aaron and Hur are here with you. Whoever has a dispute should go to them. So where where they are, someplace close enough that later on the people of Israel will be able to come up and have have these disputes before them. So Moses goes up the mountain and a cloud covers it. So he goes up the mountain and then we read, the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and a cloud covered it for six days. So um, it, what what did what did the glory of the of the Lord look like? A Moses might not have seen because maybe that's what the cloud was doing is concealing it. We read that um, from the people below 
uh, it looked like a consuming fire. The appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites was a consuming fire in the mountain. So you see the cloud lighting up or whatever. But we don't know what Moses saw. We don't know what Moses saw when he was there um, by the glory of the Lord. But we read that after six days, Moses um, entered the cloud and went uh, up the mountain, and he remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So uh, Moses goes into the cloud, and while he's there, um, he he uh, he spends that time there, and eventually comes back down with the um, with the tablets of the law. So so obvious similarities there. There there are the similarities in these passages. So there's the cloud uh, in in both passages. We read about the cloud. We read about this visual spectacle. Whatever the the spectacle is, we only get kind of words saying that there was one. We don't get the words we want that tell us exactly what we would have seen. Um, and uh, and we hear the voice of God. So uh, all three of them are similar in that way. Or, or These stories are like that. And the one uh, with um, Elijah is similar. But there's some key differences. So that's what Peter and James and John would have said. Is they said oh, it was like this, but it was different this way. And so that's going to give us our best clue of what, what this transfiguration meant. So how is it different? So, how is it different? Well, first of all, Moses and Elijah are the ones speaking with Jesus. In their own stories, in the story of Exodus, in the story of uh, um, First Kings, they speak with God. But here, Moses and Elijah are speaking with Jesus. So that at least invites us to, to, to think about, what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus is not described as having a conversation with God up here? Instead, Jesus is in the place of God. He is he is the one that now Moses and Elijah are speaking with. So, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't it doesn't say in so many words that Jesus is God, but it certainly is compatible with that understanding that we have really from the the totality of the New Testament. Um, and it invites us to reflect. So, so how did Jesus put himself in the place of God as these two uh, Old Testament uh, characters? Begin talking with him. So that's a that's a different. It's Moses and Elijah are now speaking not with God but with Jesus. So who are they talking to? So it invites us to think about that. Another another big difference is time. Did you notice how long Moses spent up that mountain? I mean, several trips up and down. You know, where, wherever he's going in terms of back and forth, but certainly going up, he spends six days waiting for the glory of the Lord to to settle on the mountain. And then 40 days in the cloud after it does so. So, so a month and a half Moses has spent up on the mountain. It, it's, uh, you know, we don't know how long the, the transfiguration took, but it's certainly presented as something that's not very long. We, we don't get the impression that it takes very long. And in fact, in fact, um, oftentimes people will sometimes, um, uh, make fun of Peter. You know, we we have this image of Peter as the guy who's always putting his foot in his mouth, saying whatever comes to mind, um, and and it tells us, you know, he didn't know what to say. Um, but but it's not really unreasonable if Peter is kind of, you know, running the numbers in his head. He's saying, I've I've seen a story like this. I I know a story like this. And Moses and Elijah, when they were up on their mountains, they spent a long time there. So. We better settle in. Maybe I better build some some huts for these these important people, so that if we're here for forty days, they'll have a place to, to to rest. So it's not completely unreasonable for Peter to say, "Hey, should I build you a hut?" Um, but but maybe it maybe it wasn't the brightest thing because it says he didn't know how to respond. But it's not completely unreasonable. So 
So there's this long period of time in in Exodus and what appears to be a shorter period, maybe a couple of hours, maybe at most like a day. It's not a long time that Jesus spends um, in the mountain of transfiguration. So that's another difference. But the key difference is that Oh, on time, I should say this. However long Moses, Moses spent so much time up there that eventually the people come to Aaron and they say, hey, I don't know if he's ever coming back down. So in the meantime, make us gods who can lead us. So they make a golden calf and so forth. So that's where that story goes on because he's up there so long. We don't get that impression in, in the, the story of the transfiguration. They, they don't go making golden calves or anything. Jesus isn't up there that long. We don't get that impression. But the big difference, the big difference is that Jesus comes back down. Jesus comes back down the mountain. That is the big difference because, because Moses, Moses came back down too, but God never said when he was up on that mountain, God never said that you are my son. Listen to him. God said, you know, carry these tablets. He didn't say you're my son. Jesus comes down. God has, God has given Jesus a, a seal of approval. He's saying, He's saying, bring heaven down. Jesus is, is announced by God to be the place where heaven and earth meet. He is, he is a human. He's, he's, he's the man, Jesus, but he's also the son of God. He is the place where heaven and earth meet. And God says, God, God confirms that, and then Jesus goes back down. So the, the idea there is that in Christ... God came the rest of the way. God didn't limit himself to being up on the mountain. He's not just available to those those visionaries, people who climb up to the mountain and get the revelation there. God is now in Christ. He is accessible to people in the everyday, the the down down on the plain. Um if we if we read in this story, we read that um we read that later on uh Jesus will, as soon as he comes back down the mountain, the first thing he encounters is he encounters a, a, a boy who needs to be healed. That, that he's, he's got some kind of a, a demonic possession or, or however it's described. It says, um, it says, uh, this thing, uh, that, that the disciples can't, can't, uh, cast out. And so Jesus does. The first thing he encounters is, is a healing miracle, the first or an opportunity to to provide a healing miracle. Uh, somebody is sick. Somebody has a problem that Jesus is able to help with. Uh, later on, in the next chapter, Jesus is is walking ahead of his disciples. He wants to get to to Jerusalem, but we see places where people argue. You know, people bring him uh, arguments. They say, "Can you help my brother? You know, help my brother and I sort out what to do with the the estate." Jesus is is in that. God, Jesus brings God down into that argument over money. When, when, uh, Mary and Martha are having their argument, you know, who, who needs to be in the kitchen right now? Jesus brings God into that argument. Jesus brings God into the everyday world, the, not just the mountain, but the arguments over money in the kitchen and who, who should have taken out the trash. Uh, Jesus brings God right down into the everyday parts of our world. Because God came the rest of the way down. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. And the reason it has come near is because Jesus has brought it down from the mountain. The kingdom of God has come near because Jesus brought it to us. But that's not all he did. Jesus is where heaven meets earth. But that means Jesus is where earth meets heaven. 
Jesus went up that mountain, and when they, he was up the mountain, they saw something. They saw a man go up the mountain, but when they were there, they saw a different kind of man. They saw what Jesus, uh, what Jesus is in eternity. They saw what Jesus is on the other side of the resurrection. Whatever it is they saw, we don't know, but they saw a different Jesus. They saw the Jesus that, 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 um, he would be in some other, some other light. They got a glimpse of that. Um, and what, what the New Testament teaches us is that that's true for all of us. In, in his letter, John, who was up on that mountain, says, Now we're God's children, and it hasn't yet appeared what we will be. We're being transformed, but we don't know yet what that's going to be. What we do know is that when he appears, we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. That we will, we will once again have the view of what Jesus really, um, uh, we, we could not see in Jesus when he was walking on the earth. And so Jesus shows us what God's intentions are for us. That when Jesus comes down, he brings heaven to earth. But when he goes up, he brings earth, he brings us to heaven. And this is what God is doing in us. God is, God is changing us. God is transforming us into the likeness of his son. So, so that's something we see in the, in the, in the transfiguration. We see a hint. We see a glimpse of what it is God is doing, not just in Jesus, but in all of us, making us look not like Jesus looked when he walked around in the earth, but what he looked like in his, in his essence, in his true self, uh, in his resurrection body, whatever, Whatever that was, God is transforming us into that image. So you might ask yourself, you know, how much of that still needs to be done? Where, where is that taking place? Um, but ultimately, that's that's a God thing. We don't even know really what we're aiming at. God is making us like Jesus. So whatever that is, um, we just have to trust God in that. But we can we can certainly remember that Jesus has brought heaven down to us. We don't have to climb up flat top. We we don't. We don't have to climb up flat top because we couldn't see God from up there unless he showed us. And what Jesus has done is brought God down to a place where we can experience God in everyday things. In, in the hospital room, in the uh, around the kitchen table, walking on the road, we can experience God because Jesus has brought heaven down to us. Let's pray. Lord, by your grace you have... Um, spoken to us. You've given us your revelation in different times and in different places. But as we read in the book of Hebrews, uh, in these later times, you have, sh- you have spoken to us through your Son. You've spoken to us to show that you know what's going on, that you are part of our troubles and our celebrations. But you've also shown us what we will become by your grace as we continue to to um, put into practice the things that Jesus teaches us. We pray you'd, you'd give us patience to wait on you, but also courage to test out the things that we see you doing in us. Um, we pray these things through Christ, our transfigured Lord. Amen.